Man, how y'all doing today? Excited to be in church? Man, I'm excited to be here, and uh, I'm not sure what to do with that introduction, uh, but God is good, and I believe the Lord's got something extra special in store for us this morning. Can we just pray for a moment? God, we just welcome you into this house. God, we thank you for your word, God, for your spirit, God, for your power. Lord, would you make yourself known, and God, will we leave here different because we've been with you. In his precious name, everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Y'all can be seated. And uh, man, it's, it's great. It was about 10 years ago, uh, I was here for a Sunday service. I wasn't preaching, but uh, my wife and I, we were preparing to take our two young kids and move to a city four hours away uh, to start a church. God had called us and, and given us the burden to go, and, but we came and, and y'all prayed for us and encouraged us. And 10 years ago to now, man, one thing I know for sure is God has been faithful to Eternity Church. I mean, God has been so good. It's incredible to see uh, the growth and the things that have happened. And, uh, man, I'm just so uh, happy to call your pastor, Pastor Jesse, uh, one of my friends, Jesse and Lauren, uh, also a man who stayed the course and is every bit as passionate now about the future of this church and the church of Jesus Christ than he ever has been. And uh, so you guys are blessed. you got a great pastoral team. I've known many of your team, Pastor Rob, for a long time. I see Pastor Brad uh, actually helped me out quite a bit. When we were starting River Church, getting some of the business side up and going, and, and it's great. I'm excited to be in the Word with you today. Before I jump in, though, I want to show off my family real quick. I've got a family picture here. Uh, anybody else like your most recent family photos happened in the church lobby on a holiday? Okay, thank you. I'm glad I'm not alone. So this is my this is my fi my famous my beautiful wife Ashley. We've been married for over 16 years now. She is an incredible woman of God. Not only is she active in the ministry, but uh, she homeschools all four of those crazy kids. I don't know how she does it, but they're, they're awesome. Uh, Nathan over here is my oldest. He's going to be 13 this summer. Y'all pray for me, okay? I'm... <laughs> About to have a whole bunch of teenagers for long, but uh, no, I'm blessed. Honestly, I'm looking forward to it. Nathan is wise beyond his years. He's a natural born leader. I'm telling you, the hand of God is on his life. Couldn't be more proud uh, of all these guys. Josiah over there on my right, is uh, he stands out. He's 11 as a very talented uh, artist, super creative. He can draw. He's always making videos and pictures, and he can sing, and he's a worshiper. And I know God's going to use all of that creative gifting for his kingdom and for his glory. And, and uh, there's my, my sweet baby Lydia right there. She's nine, my only girl, and she is the sweetest person you'll ever meet, I can tell you that. And uh, one thing I know for sure is that Lydia loves her dad, okay? Like, she is daddy's girl. But I, I keep telling her, like, someday, many years from now, when you're like 30, you know, you're going to meet a nice, young, godly man, and you're going to love him almost as much as dad. It's going to happen. Titus, our youngest, he is just, he's good at everything. I mean, he was started riding wheelies on his bike with no training wheels at age three. He's like, he just, he's, he can do it all. And he's just got this tenacious spirit. And I'm just like, this young man is going to change the world for Jesus. He's just got that, that pioneer spirit. And uh, I love my family. I love being here. Uh, we love the church. And can I just say to all the dads in the room, uh, that you have a prophetic voice over your children. 
and that you need to be speaking God's blessing and God's calling over your kids. They need to hear that coming from your mouth. Uh, and, you know, my, my family, we, we love the church. We've been in uh, lead pastoring for about 10 years now. We love the church. Uh, in fact, there was a season before we built our new facility uh, where we were running five services every single weekend. And uh, my wife, she's a trooper, even with young kids, she brought all of our kids to all services every weekend, uh, not because she had to or I wanted to be, but that's just where uh, she wanted to be. We just love being, how many love the church of Jesus Christ? I mean, come on, there's, there's nothing better. I love the church. Man, to get to hang out with God's people and be in his presence and be in his word. And, you know, still to this day, they want to be the first ones there, the last ones to leave. And so I'm glad to have them with me. About a year ago, I was preaching, and they, they were gone for the weekend, and I was home alone, and it was weird. And so I called it out from the, from the platform as I was preaching. I had a guy come up to me after service, and he's like, okay, you, you got to tell me. I've been wondering all service long, what does Jeremiah Randleman do when he has the house to himself? Like, like, like you got to tell me. And I don't know what he was expecting to hear. He probably thought I was going to go home and, like, meditate for six hours or you know, go feed the homeless or something, but I looked at him, and I said, bro, I'm going to go home, and I'm going to watch a violent movie. <laughs> Is it okay if I'm just real with you all today? Uh, like, I mean, I, I had four kids under the age of five, and so there's like a decade where the only movies that I watched were animated. <laughs> Come on, any parents in the room? The struggle is real, right? You're, you're flipping through the channels and, oh, that looks good. That looks good. And then the four and six-year-olds start chanting, Wally, Wally, Wally. And you're like, oh, did they even talk in that movie again? You know, and so, so I was like, but hey, can I just say, dads, something that will help you gain influence with your kids, not just now, but for the rest of their life, is make an effort to be interested in what they're interested in. Like, not just what you're interested in, that's easy, I got some kids that like what, but there's times where I got to make an effort to, to get into their world and to get into what they're passionate about, and there's a word for that in the Bible, it's called humility. You know, it's considering others' needs above yourselves, and that is the kind of love, aren't you glad, that our Heavenly Father has for us, that we're to have for our kids, but hey, I got the house to myself, there's nobody else around, so it's like, you know what, I'm going to go home and I'm going to watch like a man's movie. <laughs> Like one of those movies, guys, you ever watch a movie and then you like got to go work out afterwards? <laughs> like, man, I'm going to hit the gym. And so I got, I got a man's message for you today. My gift to all you uh, fathers out there is we're going to look at one of the baddest dudes in the Bible. Okay, I'll read this story, and he's like straight out of an 80s action movie. How many of you have heard the story of Samson before? Samson, a lot of you, uh, if you went to Sunday school, uh, you probably heard a, a version of Samson's story, a very kid-friendly, G-rated version, and if you grew up in the same era that I did, you got the pleasure of hearing that story with the technical advancement of the flannel graph. You guys, uh, how many remember the flannel graph, right, the little blue felt board, and yeah, yeah, and so, you know, if you've, if you've never... Uh, heard this story though as an adult, I've got to warn you, it's not a kid's story. Like, you know, so many people think of it as a Sunday school favorite, a kid's story, but it's like should be rated for mature audiences only. Like there, there's violence, there's gore, disturbing images, 
sexual content, suspense. Like, I guarantee you there's some details that your Sunday school teacher left out. And for good reason. I mean, there's, there's murder, there's gambling, there's anger, revenge, intense battle scenes, Samson sleeping with prostitutes, animals were absolutely harmed during the making of this story. And something I should probably clarify right off the bat is that Samson is not a good role model. You know, like we look at some of those Sunday school characters like Daniel and Joseph that stood out for their exceptional qualities and their, and their godly character. And it's like, man, be like, be like these. But I just got to tell you as a dad, I don't want my sons to grow up and be like Samson. I mean, Samson was arrogant. He was promiscuous, disrespectful to his parents, disrespectful to his God. But he did do some pretty cool stuff. Like impressive feats of strength. His story, if you got your Bibles, is found in Judges chapter 13 through 16. And Samson, not only is a story in Judges, but he was one of the judges in Israel. Not like a court judge, but like a military leader. And he led Israel for 20 years. He's famously known for two physical traits. Come on, church kids, help me out. What were they? Long hair and, and he was strong. Somebody says muscles, right? And he wasn't just strong like he went to the gym a lot. He was like supernaturally strong. He's like a super soldier and his strength was given to him by God. Judges 14 and verse 6 says the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon Samson one time so that he tore a lion apart with his bare hands. Like, this guy's tough. I mean, to grab hold of a 500-pound man-eating beast and then rip him apart, Scripture says, as he might have torn a young goat, which honestly doesn't help me out because I've never torn a young goat apart. But that's impressive. Another time, Judges 15, uh, Samson surrounded by his enemies, and so he picks up the jawbone of a donkey, and he single-handedly strikes down 1,000 men in an area of about half an acre. Another time, he got so angry with the Philistines, the Bible says that he went out and he caught 300 foxes, like respect. How do you catch 300 foxes? But then he, he ties them together tail to tail in pairs. Okay, I told you this guy has issues, right? He ties the foxes together, fastens a torch to every pair of tails, lit the torches, and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks and the standing grain together with the vineyards and the olive groves. And uh, so as you can imagine, the Philistines hated Samson. I mean, he's, he's slaughtered hundreds of them, thousands. He's burned up their crops. And so multiple times they tried to trap him, capture him. They tried to kill him. They failed over and over again. One time they thought for sure, I um, mean, they had him trapped inside the city gates. It was locked. They surrounded him. There's no way out. But, man, the dude's so boss, he goes to the city gates 
which were like several hundred pounds of material, you know, big gates for, for carts and livestock to go through, anchored to the ground. And instead of just kicking them out or like breaking through, and walk, he picks them up above his head and he carries them up to the top of the hill just to send a message. Like Samson's, Samson's cocky, okay? He's arrogant. He's unstoppable. You know, what are you guys going to do about it? Uh, but finally... The Philistines, they find an area where Samson, this incredibly strong man, was incredibly weak. And they exploited that weakness. One of their schemes was finally effective. And I'm going to tell you about it here in just a minute. But if you fast forward to the end of this story, Samson was eventually captured by his enemies. And they gouged out his eyes. They then forced him to do slave labor in a grain mill. And this once great, mighty warrior spent the rest of his life as a blind prisoner of his enemies. You know, and I sometimes wonder, like, what would it be like to have a conversation with Samson? You know, at the end of his life, you know, what would he have to say? If he could be here today and teach his own story, what would he talk about? And I, and I really think that if Samson were here today, he would talk about being blind. Talk about blindness. And our key thought for today, if you're taking notes, is that you don't have to lose your eyes to be blind. Like, how many know you can have eyesight and still not see some things? You know, I'd argue that all of us have blind spots. You know, things about ourselves that we just, we just can't see, that they're, they're blind. You know, we're, we're unaware of those things. And honestly, I think that's a big reason why Jesus started the church. Because when we come together in moments like this, and we gather under God's word, and we gather in small groups, and we surround ourselves with godly people, it gives us a fresh perspective on life. You know, it changes how we see things. Psalm 119 says, Lord, your word is a lamp to my feet. But you, your word... It, it lights up my path. Like, how many know God's word helps us to see things clearly? I can't tell you how many times I've been reading my Bible or, or sitting uh, in, in church, and all of a sudden, the light bulb goes off, and I'm like, oh, man, I didn't even see that. Man, I've been, I got to make some changes. And can I just say, I need that in my life? Like today, standing before you, I, I need that in my life. And can I just tell you in love, you need that in your life. Dads, you need that in your life. Young people, you need that in your life. The fact of the matter is, there's some of you here today, and you're blind to some things. And, and I don't say that to be critical. I, I know you don't know me real well, but one thing I want you to know is that I love you. Man, I love the church of Jesus Christ, and I'm here today to, to help you and to serve you, and, uh, and, and I want to help you maybe to open up your eyes through God's word, because there's some of you, you're blind to some things, and if you don't open up your eyes, it's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt people that you love. And so I'm going to ask you right now, before we jump into the rest of our story, can we just take a moment and pray? And I'm just going to ask you personally, would you open up your heart to God? Right now, and we just pray, would you say, God, help me to see things clearly. And God, I just ask that you do that today through the power of your living word. God, would you open up the eyes of our hearts? God, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. 
God, help us to see things the way that you do. In your precious name, amen. If you're taking notes, you don't have to lose your eyes to be blind to God's purpose. That was certainly the case for Samson. Even though Samson's purpose had been very clearly revealed, he still couldn't see it. You know, Judges chapter 13 and verse 1 says, Again, the Israelites, who are God's chosen people, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Now, God still loves Israel, but how many know sin has consequences? All right, he, he loves them, he sees them, it's been 40 years, he's ready to deliver them. So God sends Samson to the Israelites with his super strength to deliver them. It was a pretty powerful moment. An angel of the Lord shows up to Samson's parents uh, who were actually unable to even have children. But in verse 5, the angel of the Lord says to them, you're going to become pregnant and you're going to have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor. This boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. After giving further instructions, verse 20 says, The angel of the Lord ascended in the flame, and seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. Like, it was a powerful moment. It was undeniable. Miraculously, this couple who was unable to have kids give birth to a son who has super strength. Which I was just thinking, that's got to have challenges of its own. Like, okay, buddy, put down daddy's truck, Right? I mean, Samson's purpose was so clear, but he still couldn't see it. And you're probably wondering, like, how's that even possible? Like, the angel and the, and the fire and God spoke and he's strong. Like, how could he miss that? But if we're being honest, as Christians, I think we all have moments where we know God's purpose for us. Moments of clarity in a church service, moments where God speaks to us, moments where, man, you just know that you know that you know, yet so quickly we can walk out and live a life that doesn't even resemble that purpose. And maybe for you today, like Samson, your purpose has been revealed, but you're not seeing it right now. And can I say, this is one of my greatest concerns for the church now, I love the church, but I'm concerned that so many of God's people are going through life without a clear sense of why their life really matters. Like, just by show of hands, how many Christians do we have in the place today? How many believe been saved by God? Man, all of you with your hands up, you need to understand there is divine destiny on your life. Okay, God's created you with purpose in mind. Man, God wants to make an eternal difference through you. You know, but I think so many people today, so many people in churches are responding to what's going on in our world in the wrong way. Some are getting scared and, and, and hateful and divisive. Man, others are just shrinking back and hiding in fear. But you know what Jesus said, the last thing he said before he said, he didn't say, okay, Christians, go into your houses and hide. No, what did he say? He said, I want you to get out in the world and shine. Man, I want you to proclaim this good news to all creation. 
That's my assignment for you. In fact, I was preaching last week at my church about the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah says this in Isaiah 60, and I think this is a word for the church of Jesus Christ right now. Isaiah 60 and verse 1 says, arise. In other words, get up. Everybody say, get up. Like, get up, do something, shine, for your light has come. And can we just all agree that the world needs people full of God right now? full of hope, full of life, people that, hey, we're going through the same junk everybody else is, but we have an answer. We have a Savior. So get up and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon who? Upon you. And some of you may have really never realized that God wants to anoint you, but he does. He wants his glory to appear over you. He wants to shine through you. God wants to strengthen you through the power of his Holy Spirit. Man, he wants to give you the supernatural ability to do what he's created you to do. Why? Well, darkness covers the earth. If you don't believe me, just turn on the news. Thick darkness is over the people, but God has a plan He says, the Lord rises upon, who again? Upon you, upon me. And his glory appears over us. In verse 3, he says, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Man, friends, can I just say we cannot afford to be blind to God's purpose for us. Proverbs 29 and verse 18 says, where there is no prophetic vision, where there is No revelation where people don't accept divine guidance, people cast off restraint. Like Samson did. Samson cast off restraint. He lived a life of sin and compromise. He ignored cleared commands from God, was disobedient to his parents. And I'm telling you, friends, when you don't see God's vision for your life, you're in a very dangerous place. The second thing I want you to write down if you're taking notes is this. You don't have to lose your eyes to be blind to the power of relationships. Actually, the first action we see from Samson is him marrying a Philistine woman, which was a clear no-no. God did not want his people to be marrying outside of the Jewish race. And that had nothing to do with skin color. This was a point of purity. In the New Testament, it would be like Christians uh, don't marry non-Christians, which if you didn't know, the Bible says, hey, don't do that. (laughs) It's unwise. 2 Corinthians says, don't be yoked with unbelievers. What do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What fellowship can light have with darkness? And this command isn't to be restrictive. Okay, God's not trying to be cruel. I mean, this command is for your good. Yeah, because if you're unyoked in your marriage, it's going to cause all kinds of pain and division in your life. And you're not going to be as effective in fulfilling your purpose as God wants you to be. And it's not going to just affect you. It's going to affect your kids. And it's going to affect your family. It's going to affect people around you. You know, Samson's parents, they come to him and they warned him against it. But he clearly just ignores their advice. And he marries a woman who has a different set of beliefs different set of behaviors, different values, different culture, different allegiances, and this decision ends up being one of the worst decisions of his life. 
causes him personally a ton of heartache, leads to death and destruction for a whole bunch of people. Actually, his Philistine wife and her father ended up being burned alive by their own people like it was really bad. But Samson is so blind to the power of relationships that he goes out and he does it again. He falls in love with yet another Philistine woman whose name you probably know. Even if you weren't a church kid, you've probably heard about Samson and Delilah. Samson and Delilah, Judges 14 and verse 6, says sometime later he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines, they went to her and they said, see if you can lure him in to showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver, which for reference is about 28 pounds of silver from every ruler. So they're like, hey, we've been unsuccessful. Maybe you can get him to give up the secret of his strength. And Delilah, she's like, okay, I'm in. And, 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 and so she says this in verse 6, Delilah says to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. And Samson's not the sharpest tool in the shed, okay? <laughs> like, like, this line of questioning should raise some red flags. But he is smart enough not to actually tell her the secret of his strength, so he lies to her. In verse 7, he says, if anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. And then the rulers of the Philistines, they brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him with them, and with men hidden in the room, she called out to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. And then Delilah said to Samson, you have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. Now, I'm going to state the obvious here, but alarm bells should be going off for Samson right now. Like, dude, she just does the exact thing you told her would ruin you, and then your enemies show up to seize you. Come on, like, bro, you got to see what's going on here. But would you believe if I told you the same thing happened three times? First it was the bowstrings, and then it was seven new ropes, and then it was, hey, if you braid my hair into the fabric of the loom, I'll become as weak as any other man. And every time he tells her that the fake secret to his strength, the Philistines appear to seize him. But he snaps the bowstrings, he snaps the ropes, walks out unharmed with pin and loom still attached to his hair. And then she says to him in verse 15, she says, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? She's laying it on thick. She says, this is the third time you've made a fool of me, and you haven't told me the secret of your great strength. And with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was what? Sick to death. And I just want you to notice that this bad relationship made Samson miserable. 
I mean, he's stuck, he's in the middle of it, but he is, he is like sick to his stomach. And not only did it make him miserable, but this relationship caused him to compromise. Like all the nagging, all the prodding, Samson ended up doing something that he probably never would have. Verse 17 says that he told her everything. <laughs> like he tells her the truth this time. He actually reveals to her the secret of his strength. No razor's ever been used on my head. Remember that was something the angel said. I've been a Nazarite dedicated God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. It's like, Samson, buddy, how could you be so blind? But some of you sitting in this room today, you can relate to Samson. Some of you, I mean, you, you know what it's like to have manipulative and destructive relationships in your life. Like, you've lived it. You've been there. Maybe some of you are there right now. Maybe, I mean... If you're being honest, you've got people very close to you, maybe in a dating, marriage-type relationship, maybe close friends, and those people are not spurring you on towards God's purpose for your life. The reality is that the enemy is using them to pull you away from God and to pull you away from your God-given destiny. And outside of God's blessing, and if you're not careful, it might just bring you to a point where you're forced into situations that you didn't ever want to be in. Where you do things that you said you'd never do. You know, but like Samson, you've been blind to how negatively, just how negatively that relationship is affecting you. You know, Samson was blind to the power of relationships and it led to his downfall. Like verse 18 says, when Delilah saw that he told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines to come back once more told me everything this time and so the rulers they return with the silver in their hands and after she put him to sleep on her lap she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him then Delilah called Samson the Philistines are upon you he woke from his sleep and I don't want you to miss this I'm going to come back to this in just a moment Samson wakes up and he thinks you know what God will forgive me you know it's all good yeah, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go out just as I, I did all those other times before and I'm going to shake myself free, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. The Philistines, they then seized him, they gouged out his eyes, they took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison, which brings me to my third point, you don't have to lose your eyes to be blind to the effects of sin. You know, Genesis 4, 7 says, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you. Okay, it wants to destroy you, but you must rule over it. Famous theologian says, you got to be killing sin or it will be killing you. You know, but I... But I'm worried that there's so many Christians today that like Samson, they're blind to the effects of sin. Blind to the effects of their own disobedience. 
And I, and I just want to clarify something. You know, sometimes it's easy to see the effects of sin for somebody else. And it's easy to look outside and look at other people. But Jesus actually warns about the whole, you know, speck and, you know, plank, that whole thing. And so right now, I just, I just want to encourage you. I mean, I'm, it's important for us as believers. I think it's a mark of spiritual maturity when we're willing to take some time and let God judge our hearts and let the Bible judge our thoughts and our attitudes and do some reflection. And I think a mark of spiritual maturity isn't being perfect. It's being a quick repenter. It's men and women that say, you know what, God, you, you said this is sin, and I agree with your word, and so I'm calling it out. And, and so I, I just want you to avoid any temptation to be pointing fingers outside at, at the world or somebody else. So right now, I, I don't want you to be blind to the effects of sin, the effects of disobedience, to the, to the effects of compromise. You know, Romans, some people will say, you know, hear that and say, well, pastor, that's Old Testament. You know, we live in the New Testament under grace. Dude, God will forgive me. Oh, there's grace. And you know what? God will forgive. How, how, God's grace is amazing, somebody. I mean, God's grace is bigger than your worst mistake, bigger than your greatest sin. Like, like his grace is just, un I can't even wrap my head around how amazing God's grace is. But Paul asked a question in Romans 6. He said, you know, should we just keep on sinning? You know, so that God can just keep showing us more and more of this wonderful grace? He answers his own question. He says, of course not. That's not even who you are anymore in Christ. You've died to sin. How can you keep living in it? Yeah. Samson was blind to the effects of sin, but you don't have to be. Like Romans 15, 4 says, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. Yeah. That through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. And so listen, like, you, this is a lesson you don't have to learn the hard way. You can learn from Samson's mistakes. And I want to give you a few practical encouragements before we close today. Encouragements from the story of Samson. If you're taking notes, if you don't want to be blind, put God first. One thing I could say with confidence is if you could have a conversation with Samson at the end of his life, he would say, put God first. <laughs> I'll bet with regret he would say, put God first. Put God first above your own ego. Put God first above your own pleasures. Okay, put God first uh, above everything else. Seek God first. And, man, I know I don't have to tell you guys to do that. It's like, it's, it's all over the scripture. It's the, you know, first commandment, have no other gods before me, Old Testament, New Testament. There's so many blessings and encouragements that come into your life, man, when you put God first and you seek him above all else. And there's so many promises that back that up. And so I'm not going to teach you that you have to put God first. I'm just going to ask you, man, are you putting God first? Because so many Christians know that, and on default, they would say, oh, yes, God first, pastor, family second, and like the whole deal, like, oh, yeah, we know. And there's so many people that would, sitting in churches today, that would, without even thinking about it, just, oh, of course God's first, of course God's first, but they're blind to the fact that he really isn't. Like, do your actions line up with your beliefs? Like if God, let's say Jesus comes over to your house today 
and just sits down and looks at your calendar for the last month and what you've done with your time and your days. What would that conversation be like for you? Would you be making all kinds of excuses? Well, you know, Jesus, I mean, it's just been a busy time. The kids are, they're in all kinds of stuff. And we got this stuff going on at work. And I got a lot of responsibility. And, you know, Jesus, you, just, you know, I don't, I don't have time to wake up in the morning and pray. <laughs> I, I don't have time to read my Bible every day. I just, you, you know, I, I'd love to. And, and you're my, you know, if Jesus were to come and, you know, go through your bank account. Your finance, your checkbook. Would he say, oh man, well done. You are stewarding the resources that I've entrusted you with according to my kingdom and my will for your life. I mean, are, 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 you, are you putting God first? I, I, I don't want you to be blind. There's times for me where I realize, oh man, I didn't mean to, but I've been busy and I've been engaged in all this stuff and there's, there's some things that have been creeping up. We sing the song, there's only one person that belongs on the throne of our life. And we got to be willing as God's people to tear down any idols or anything that we've put in place. So if you don't want to be blind, put God first. Second thing I'm pretty sure Samson would have learned by now is that you need to choose your relationships carefully. <laughs> like, like the Bible says the wise choose their friends carefully. 1 Corinthians 15, 13 says, do not be deceived. I can say, do not be blind. Bad company ruins good morals. Man, I was a youth pastor for a long time. Like, I could preach this all day. I could tell you story after story of how I've seen this play out, not just with kids, uh, but with adults. You know, Proverbs 13, 20 says, walk with the wise and become wise. In Samson's story, we really see the negative side of destructive relationships. But how many know if you surround yourself with the right people, man, it's going to propel you in the right direction. In fact, you'll never do all that God wants you to do if you're not surrounding yourself with the right kind of people that will pray for you and spur you on and speak truth and help you in love to see those blind spots. Walk with the wise and become wise. But a companion of fools gets their eyes gouged out. My last point taking notes is this, and I believe for many of you this is going to be the loudest thing that, that you hear all day. I want you to remember that failure isn't final. There, there's one last part of Samson's story. It's so good. Samson, he's grinding grain. He's, he's weak. He's blind. He's a prisoner of his enemies. And when the Philistines would gather together, they would bring Samson in as entertainment. <laughs> Like, that's his life, doing slave labor and then bringing in to be mocked by his enemies. That's what's happening at the end of chapter 16 when Samson, he said to the servant who held his hand, he says, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Okay, so if you can imagine this scene, the who's who of the Philistine leaders, they're all there. Like the place is packed. There's 3,000 people on the roof. 
I mean, it's packed out. Everybody there, the enemies of God's people, those that have been impressing the Israelites, they're all there. They're watching Samson before. And then Samson prayed to the Lord. Samson had a moment where he remembered where his strength came from. He prayed to the Lord and he said, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. Amen. Friends, aren't you so glad we serve a once more kind of God? That no matter how many times you mess up, no matter how many times you miss the mark, no matter how bad you mess things up, man, that you can always cry out to our God and he hears you. And he'll forgive you. Like, friends, listen, every time you humble yourself before God and say, God, forgive me. God, I need your help. God, he'll do it. You know, Hebrews says if we confess our sins to God, he's faithful and he's just to not only forgive us of those sins, but to purify us from all unrighteousness. Samson, after royally messing up God's plan for his life, After living in sin and stupidity, remembers his God, remembers where his strength really comes from, and he cries out to the Lord, God, strengthen me once more. And then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And then he pushed with all of his might, And down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus, he killed many more of God's enemies when he died than while he lived. Like, remember, this is what Samson was anointed to do. In the end, he fulfilled God's purpose. I mean, he made a mess of it, and, you know, it it was a colorful journey to get there. But by some miracle of God's grace, Samson is now listed in Hebrews chapter 11, like the great hall of fame of faith, along with Abraham and Sarah and Noah and all these heroes of the faith. There's Samson. And listen, somebody watching today, somebody in Old Wine and Audubon, Maybe sitting in the room, you've had a failure in your marriage, maybe a failure in your finances, failure in your business, your morals, and you're somebody that needs to hear this today. You're going to reap what you sow. Like sin has consequences, sin messes things up, hurts people. But you need to know that we serve the God of another chance. We serve a once more kind of God. His calling and his gifts are irrevocable. He's a once more kind of God. And failure is only final when you refuse to get back up. Proverbs 24, 16 says, Though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. They get up every single time. And somebody here today, the Lord is speaking to you, and it's time to get back up. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, I'm going to finish with this. It says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, 
Oh, come on, is anybody glad in that? Can we just thank Jesus right now? That he loved us so much. That he put our needs above his own. That he came into this world to seek and to save that which was lost. Paul says, make no mistake. And Paul says, listen, I'm the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. And I just want you to know that God is a patient God, that he's a merciful God, that he's a loving God, that he's a once more kind of God, that he doesn't look at you and scoff and he's not like, oh man, can't believe you're still so blind to this. I mean, no, he looks at you with love in his eyes, and man, his heart and his desire is to redeem you. Can I tell you, he wants to reverse the hurtful and harmful situations in your life. He is the great redeemer. He can do the impossible. And God, so we just come to you right now. And God, we just ask that you would do the impossible. God, I believe there's some stories of redemption in this room. God, that you're turning things around. God, that, that today there's somebody that's responding that's been beat down by the enemy and beat down by their failures, and they're going to respond to you today and say, God, I'm getting back up, and I'm going to shine. God, you're not done with me yet. God, from this day forward, I'm going to fulfill your purpose on my life, and God, I just pray right now that you would overwhelm them with the power of your Holy Spirit. God, that you just strengthen them. God, that they would feel your great love for them. And God, we just thank you for being a once more kind of God. God, I'm thankful for your grace in my life. God, I'm thankful for your patience in me. God, that those times when I've had blind spots and I've missed it, there were some things I just wasn't seeing. God, those moments of revelation can sometimes be painful. But God, I thank you for being a God who speaks to your people, a God who loves us just how we are, but loves us too much to let us stay there. And with your heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe, maybe the Lord is convicting you of maybe some sin in your life of some sort, maybe a blind spot, something that you've had the wrong perspective on and he's shifting, and sometimes that revelation can be painful, but I just want to remind you today that that is a sign of his love for you. And he's only revealing to that to you because he has something better for you. And he wants you to step into the best that he has for you. Amen. So would you just receive that with joy? If the Lord's made my encouragement to you is to be a quick repenter and say, okay, God, now that you've opened up my eyes, I'm turning towards you again and again and again. And, and there's some of you right now in this room that, that God has opened your eyes to the greatest need in your life, and that's a Savior. God, God's opened up your eyes, man, that you need him because let me tell you, there is no heaven, there is no salvation without Jesus Christ. He's the only way to heaven and sometimes people go through this life putting their faith in the wrong things. They put, we put our confidence in ourselves or our parents or our religion or, or those type of things, but Jesus is the only one who can save us. He's the only one that can forgive us of our sins and make us new. And let me tell you right now, if you don't have a relationship with God, he wants to have a relationship with you. Man, he wants to forgive you of your sins. 
He wants to make you a brand new creation in Christ. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed and nobody looking around, you say, Pastor, I need Jesus in my life. I'm, I need a Savior. I need his grace. I need his forgiveness. Jesus, right now in this moment, would you forgive me? Jesus, would you make me new? Jesus, today I'm opening up my heart to you. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Oh, come on, if that's you right now, would you just boldly slip up your hand right now and say, yes, Jesus, I'm responding to you. Yes, 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 praise God for you. Yes, awesome, I need you, Jesus, I need a Savior. Yes, man, in Owine, in Audubon, online, God sees you. And man, right now, can we pray with all those people? Can we just pray, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me so much. Today I invite you into my life, and I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins, make me new, and help me to live for you. In his precious name, everybody said, amen. Hey, can we give God praise for those born into the family of God? Yes. Man, everybody else, I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. All across this room. Man, we're going to sing that song we sang earlier about Jesus being on the throne of our lives. And we're going to open up the altars of God's working on your heart. And you want to pray in your seats. You want to come forward. I know the team here wants to pray with you. But right now, would you just stretch up your hands to heaven right now? Would you just lift up holy hands to the Lord as a sign of surrender? You know, we often lift up our, our hands in different ways and sacrifice of praise. But right now, I'm just going to ask you to lift your hands as a sign of surrender. Because let me tell you, when you surrender to Jesus, you win. And so, God, right now, we just, Lord, just refresh it anew. God, we surrender control of our lives to you. Jesus, be the Lord of our lives. Jesus, we exalt you. Lord, you are high and exalted on your holy throne. And, Jesus, we just put you first right now, some fresh and anew. So right now, God, I just pray, Lord, that you would have your way in our lives. God, that we would follow you, that we would honor you. And God, right now in this moment as you're speaking and you're healing and re repentance and revival is happening, God, would you just do in its midst what only you can do in your precious holy name. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please check out our other episodes. If you would like to connect with Eternity Church, be sure to go to myeternity.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at myeternitychurch. We'll see you next week. Love you heaps.